Shalom, this is Rav Johnny Solomon, and I would like to tell you about the services that I provide to men and women around the world. Firstly, if you have a she'ilah, a halachic query or a halachic topic you would like to learn more about as it applies to your life, and you feel that you don't have a Rav with whom you can discuss this question, I offer online halachic consultations. Secondly, if you have some theological or spiritual query, or if you're in need of some chizuk, I provide spiritual coaching. And lastly, if you'd like to learn about a particular Torah topic, I offer one-to-one -one learning. For each of these services, you can book an appointment for a small fee at my website, rabbijohnnysolomon.com, which seamlessly, with the magic of Calendly, then appears in my online calendar. And within a few minutes, you'll receive a message with a Zoom link. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to talking with you. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another RZ Weekly Podcast, your podcast about religious Zionism, modern orthodoxy, and everything in between. That's our new tagline. Actually, it's our old tagline, so now you know what it's about. I'm here with Harab Johnny Solomon. Hello, Harab Johnny. Shalom, shalom to everybody, and Harab Ruben as well. Thank you, and Harab Manit Mali Brodsky. Hello. Hello, my name is Ruben Spolter, and uh, we're here to talk about issues that come up each and every week in the religious Zionist world. Uh, that, that overlap with our worlds and the modern Orthodox world. Today, we want to talk about uh, the issue of what I would call derech halimud, the way, really the way Gemara is learned. And what prompted uh, this discussion, what's prompting this discussion is an article that was passed around the interwebs by Rav Herschel Schechter, Shlita, Rosh Hashiva NYU, who wrote an article describing in his mind why he thinks that the Haredi community at large uh, for whatever reason, are not really being careful about the, uh, the rules and the laws of pikuach nefesh, about danger saving life. So Rav Shechter writes the following. My impression is that part of the explanation is the result of derech halimud adopted in many of the yeshivas. There's a big emphasis on pilpul, svaros, chakiros, and havaminis in the Gemara. Uh, Mali, you're going to have to explain this for our community, okay? The Gemara considers the highest level of learning to be one who learns to reach a final conclusion as what the halacha is. When I was a student of the yeshiva, one of the Tamidim asked a Rebbe, after we learned the whole piece of the Gemara that was relevant to halacha, so how do we pass it? The Rebbe, who was a European, responded, call up the Agudas of Rabbanim and ask them. In the Lithuanian yeshivas in Europe, learning halacha was frowned upon. They misinterpreted the idea of learning Torah lishma to mean one should not focus on his learning, arriving at his conclusion as to what the halacha is. So Rav Shechner has his reasons and explanation to explain why he thinks, he thinks that basically the Haredi community, they've been so involved in learning theoretical halacha that they're, they've lost all connection to the real world and now they don't even know the meaning of pikuach nefesh. Now, this of course uh, raises the hackles of many. Did Rav Shechter really, you know, you know, does he know the community in, in, in the Haredi community? Is that really the reason? 
I personally do not want to talk about the Haredi community. I would like to um, demonstrate self-restraint. I think we have, uh, in our communities, bashed the Haredi community for long enough. Everyone has their own opinions. I'm sure every listener has great opinions about what Ill, the ills of the Haredi community are, and you can find any other opinions on the internet. I am very interested, though, in this issue of how Gemara is learned, and is it, should it be learned the way Rav Shach describes, Aliba de Hilchasa, and why we don't learn Gemara, especially at the highest levels of yeshiva, Aliba de Hilchasa. When you get to Smicha, of course, well, then you don't longer learn Gemara. Then most people learn, you know, Tur Shulchan Aruch. Maybe you'll study Gemara, but you won't learn Gemara. But, you know, you have, when you're learning in the morning, you're learning Shir, you're doing exactly classic European learning. Uh, you're learning hakiras, you're learning theoretical, you're learning you know, constructs, but whether it's halachic or not, there's really no bearing whatsoever on the study of learning. That's how, the way I was trained, that's the way I learned in yeshiva. So before we begin, I'll ask Molly, in your rabbinic learning training, is that the way you learned? I mean, you obviously came from a very different base medrash than I did. You know, is, is, how did you learn Gemara? How were you, where did you learn Gemara and how did you learn it? It's an interesting question. It's not where I thought you were going to take the conversation, but okay, I'll answer it in the following way. Uh, I had to make a decision when I was 18 years old. Was I going to go to Mechala or Madrash at Lindenbaum? And I decided ultimately on Madrash at Lindenbaum, even though there were a lot of reasons why I would have wanted to go to Mechala. And again, this is many years ago. It sounds very strange because today there's virtually no overlap between those two schools. But those at the time, with the two schools where there were serious... It's really learning. interesting. When I was leaving Shalabim, I had to decide whether I was going to Ne Israel or YU. That was like the big decision. Right, you know? right. Exactly. So now it's like, life what? Has changed. Like, okay, life has changed. But those are the two places where you could get serious learning. And I decided on Madrasha at Lindenbaum because I wanted to learn... Gemara very seriously. I had learned Gemara seriously and Drisha actually was the first place. Drisha had a high school program. Um, I was of the first cohort of that high school program. It's still it's still going today. And that was my first introduction to Gemara. Um, so then I learned in, in Lindenbaum and then I went back to Stern. I learned in um, Rabbi, Rabbi Khan's Gemara Shir, which was the highest Shir in, in, um, in Gemara at the time in Stern. And then I went back to Lindenbaum as a Berea scholar. So that's like my Gemara background. So when I, so the reason I chose Lindenbaum was Dafka because, and this is why your story kind of piqued my memory, was because I remember saying, I want the experience of Talmud Torah that, the not the Aliba de Hilchasa Talmud Torah, right? Like that, as you said, that I can get in a halacha shir. I could even get that in a halacha ion shir, right? Well, we'll look at the sources from, from you know, and I had that in, in high school. We're going to look at the sources from the Gemara, through the Rishonim, you know, through the Achronim to, 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 to modern day Psaq. It's really I interesting. In the Haredi schools, they had no trouble teaching halacha going backwards, meaning they would start with the Gemara and show you as long as you didn't learn the actual Gemara from a Gemara. Correct. Would, as long you, as you, you, if you were a woman, as long as you didn't see Surah Sadaf, you were good. Yeah. Right. right. Uh, that's literally, literally what they said. And I wanted the experience <laughs> of, I, I remember saying it at the time, I wanted to swim in, in you know, the Sea of Talmud. That's what, wow. that's what I wanted. Uh, and that's why I went to Lindenbaum, because I wanted to learn Torah Shabbat Pen that way. Um, and, and I was very fortunate Wait, that, how was it? Did you like it? I loved it. Again, I got, I had it in Drisha before. I had it in Lindenbaum. I, I, the places where I went, and that's why I chose those places. And I think that's why. And I think it's interesting. I did. I had no idea we were going to go in like a woman direction, but I think it's very true. Uh, I didn't the, ask you as a woman. I asked you. I, I know, but I'm saying I happen to be a woman, right? And the opportunities that were avail that were available to me were the opportunities that were avail available to women at the time. So I particularly chose programs which didn't say, "Well, girls should learn the sugyo that are that are halacha la you know. 
relevant to girls. So they should learn, they should learn psachim and they should learn brachos. But why in the world would you teach a woman Baba Kama? I went to the programs that said there's value in teaching women Baba Kama and Sanhedrin. I think the first thing I ever learned was Sanhedrin. Um, and, and the reason why is, and this is kind of where I was thinking you were got, taking this question, which is, I think there's value to both types of learning, right? I think that it's very important. Wait, to wait, before get there, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. We're doing yeah. first. We're doing the sikur okay. klali of so the, the experience. Sikur klali was right. So the experience of swimming in the sea of Talmud uh, is. I think it, it, you actually directed us to an article by Lichtenstein where he talks about the value of, of swimming in the Sea of Talmud and he gives a beautiful, like a, a you know, detailed ex explication of the values that he finds. But I'll quote a different article by Lichtenstein and it's called Talmud Torah, I think, and it's two pages. And he talks about, the, basically, and he talks about, talks about this also in the article that you quoted us, which is maybe called Weiler and Gemara, I don't remember what it's called. Mm -hmm. um, but he, he basically talks about the experiential and spiritual value of the direct contact with, with that sea of Torah, with the process as it's unfolding, and, and specifically as it's unfolding from the giants of Chazal, right? It's like, it's that direct access to that, that experience, which he considers a spiritual, religious, um, halachic, um, Jewish experience. Yeah. Okay. We just want to finish the sentence. Um, and in the, and this article called Talmud Torah, he says that experience, he says, there's no difference there for if you're doing brachos or psachim or tzikin or, or bavakama. He says, does a, and it doesn't matter that you're never going to finish all the material. You're never going to come to the halacha He says, does the bather feel any less refreshed when he swims in the ocean, just because he's not going to get to the other shore. Right. So for me, that was, I mean, so for me, it was always very clear, like there's learning, you know, Gemara, which is this experience. And then there's learning Halacha. And that's that experience. And 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 each had its own place and each was equally valuable. And, and, and maybe that Dafka is a woman's thing because we were creating our own program. We weren't tied to preconceived notions. And I think that probably very valuable as well. Is it still that way today? Are they still learning uh, those Masechdot? Like all the big Masechdot? Depends in on the, the, the program, but, but yeah. Thank God, I think that they are. Rev. Johnny, you come from England. You learned it again at a different. Uh, where, where did you learn, and what was your experience? Okay, this is so, fun. Uh, I get to like. I didn't, you know, like. I'm we curious. didn't do this right. So, so I learned uh, in in high school in Hasmonean, and then went to Karambiavna, and then uh, went back to the UK uh, and learned in Kolo there in London. Uh, but I was also very lucky to have a very special Rav, Dan Gershon Lopkin, who's uh, seventh yacht this week. Um, who was a Pasek, uh, who was a great London, but also a Pasek. Uh, wait, wait, we, after you came back from KBY, you, you, there were a number of years, I imagine, that you learned in Yeshiva before Kola? No, or no I, was in, I was in Yeshiva just for a bit and then came, came back and learned in the evenings for many, many years and then in, actually started Kola uh, towards my late 20s. I stopped working and I took some time out hmm. for three, three and a half years. And, and with your, so then, then you you never other than KBY, then you probably didn't have like a classic yeshiva experience where you're sitting and learning Gemara Be'iun for hours on end. Correct. Um, Interesting. What? In, however, what I would say again, and, and this is particularly drawn uh, from my my experiences with my Rav, who was both uh, passionate about Lomdus, but also active uh, and very uh, open in terms of his Dach Psika. So he believed, and, and this is an idea which is actually quite uh, beautifully explained by Rabbi Bleich in, in volume five of his Contemporary Halachic Problems. He has an essay there called Lomda Tumpsak, Theoretical Analysis and Halachic Decision-Making. 
that there is a strong relationship between Lomdut and Psak. Now, you can be involved in Lomdut and never get to Psak, but at the same time, a person who thinks they can Paskin without a deep understanding of how to differentiate between the readings of different texts and models, that too is flawed, that too is shallow. And so that kind of sentiment that there is a, a richness brought when you take the world of Lomdus and bring it to other Psak, which is really what I grew up in through my community, through my Rav, uh, I drew somewhat in KBY, and then also drew furthermore when I was in Kolo. So wait, John, it's important for me to say then that the Lomdus you're talking about is an entirely different Lomdus than, than the classic, what the classical yeshivas are talking about. Because the, in classic yeshivas, lumdus that they describe is, in, is totally divorced from Psak. Well, it has nothing country, to do with Psak. So, it has so its that, own. So my, that's it, exactly my point, And this is a point to Rabbi Blythe. The answer is it's not. The lumdus I learned with my role. Right? Your lumdus is one. I'm just trying to point out your lumdus so, is a certain so, kind of lumdus. Right. The so the that question most, is, is there a relationship between Rabhaims, right? Who reads the Rambam? Uh, and but in so doing, dissects the Suki of the Gemara and helps us make sense of that. Um, Psak, and the answer is yes. The, I believe that there is a pathway between the Lamdas learned in Yeshiva, those forum that I learned in Yeshiva and many others do, and Psika. However, I don't think it's a path that's walked by many. And that's what really what Rabbi Bleich is really saying. And I want to just for a moment distinguish between two types of halacha. We, we say the word halacha as if it's a singular thing. That's a mistake. And I want to contrast two types of halachic literature, which uh, many greats have done. One I would call, uh, shall we call it codified halacha, which in some instances theoretical halacha. And the other is practical halacha, such as response. So let's, for the moment, contrast Shulchan Arach to Sheilot to Both are considered to be, of course, the major tomes on the halachic bookshelf, but they differ. One describes the ideal reality, how one should operate, and one certainly should endeavor to do so. And one deals with the gritty issues that arises in day-to-day -day life. Now, uh, what I would say is, even those who train in halacha, in yeshiva and in midrashot, in uh, best case, get a sense of understanding of, as you said before, that is, law as best lived. But the, you very, very rarely immerse yourself meaningfully in the world of sheilot Chuvat, which is law as dealing with life which doesn't always work so neatly and perfectly. And, and so when we speak of halacha, even the best case scenario of a Bet Midrash experience mostly is learning alumnus, then translating that into halacha, but the translating it into the lachatchila halacha when things work out well. Very, very, very few places uh, educate towards learning in the framework of Sika as reflected in Sheilotu Chubot, which is really dealing with halakha lamasa when things don't all quite work together. Halakha lamasa, I don't mean to suggest, God forbid, that the Shulchan doesn't. But I am saying when dealing with situations which arise which don't quite all fit. So we have to be careful, I think, when we speak about halakha, which is even yeshivas, when you teach halakha, which one are you teaching? Are you teaching the halakha when everything goes well or when things trick? And I just want to say one final word, which relates very much to my life, but I think it very much relates our conversation, a beautiful idea and insight, which is mentioned by Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky in his parish on the Torah. 
And he says this great question. Why is it according to tradition that Yaakov goes to learn in the yeshiva of Shemba Eber before he goes to the house of Lavan, having already spent 63 years in the house of his father Yitzchak, right? What can you learn from Shemban Eber that he hasn't learned from his father Yitzchak and his grandfather Avram? And there Rabbi Yaakov has this tremendous thesis, which is really, there are, Torah, right? there are two types of Torah. This is where Londres comes in, right? Which is, one is the, the Torah of Eretz Yisrael, one is the Torah when things go well, one is the Torah of, of, uh, of the from world. And the other is the Torah of the survival world, of Torah Tagalut, which he calls, right? Of the Torah of Shema Eva. Yaakov was going to Lavan. And so the Torah that he learned from his father wasn't matim to the challenges he was about to experience in the house of Lavan. Uh, and and it's, it's such a genius explanation because what I believe, and I've been saying this for years and years and years, is that even if you go to the best yeshivas and have the best education and you learn halacha, you're doing so in the framework of Chulchanach halacha, you're doing so in the framework of the Yitzchak halacha, of Tzart Eretz Yisrael halacha, when things go well. But most people's lives don't quite operate that way, and you need to be trained in the Torah Galut, you need to be trained in the Torah Shem Eva, and almost no yeshiva teaches that Torah and that's why many people go to yeshiva, go to seminary and fall. Because what they've learned isn't much into the situation they're likely to about to encounter. Okay. I want to sort of, we're going to pick up on what you said, Johnny. And I, I want to, I like the shame by ever, I think is very relevant, but I take it in a totally different direction. I find it fascinating that your learning experience was very much different. My, my initial response to you would be that most Rabbani don't want people paskening the second kind of sock. They want them to be able to open the Shulchan Aruch to tell you when candlelighting is. But if you have a really difficult question, that's when you like bump it up and you call Ramosha, you know, with, uh, you know, when you, when you, when you, now you would just send it on a WhatsApp. Well, yeah, nowadays my, my they was a time of Ramosha. So anyway, so, the point is you need to grow people to be independent thinkers. That's okay. what I was taught. And I know that's rare. Now, what I was a Mali, I, first of all, I want to sort of, everyone, I asked you to give your background. I give my background. I went to Shalavim. And actually I had the great, great, great schut of being in my in Shanabet. So whatever our Shanabet, Shanabet Rav, we kind of quit and whatever. We ended up in the Shira of Rafi Stern. Rafi Stern now teaches in the in the Kolin Barilan. And Rafi Stern forced me, literally, he forced us against our will. And we didn't want to to use our brains to think about things, to try to analyze on our own. And he was his own Derek Halimut and he really he influenced me to this day. Then afterwards I went to YU, YU, I went to YU, and I was sort of swept up into Rav Rudenswag Shear. And, and I can say now, I, I can say now looking back, the two years I spent at Rav Rosenzweig Shear, I didn't understand a word of it. I, honestly, I had no idea what was going on. I thought I did. I thought I understood it. Rav Rosenzweig is a tremendous Tamil Chacham. But I don't feel like looking back, it didn't mean much to me. It wasn't rooted in anything. It was like trying to clarify different positions and trying to understand them. But I mean, maybe intellectually I grew, but can I say that it was really meaningful and impactful to me? It's very difficult for me to say that. Moreover, I want to read something Rav, Rav Aaron wrote in the article that I, that I shared with you about, uh, about why we learn Torah. And he Rav quotes the Rav's approach. Is that right? What? Rav Aaron Lichtenstein. Just Rav Aaron Lichtenstein, yeah. yeah. And he says, you know, the Rav, the, Rav, the prospect, the Rav, you know, the Rav mentioned this beautiful idea of comprehending his mind and wisdom with the Holy One. I don't really understand, like Rapan writes in a way that's like very difficult for me to understand. But he says, can its categories be readily applied to an adolescent 
struggling to master recalcitrant texts, or even to the average Kola student wending his way through, through Yoridea. Meaning, basically what he says is, it doesn't really matter who you are, you're never gonna get to that point where you feel the majesty of like a Rab Chaim and you're sitting by Olam Shotor. Most people, Rab Aaron himself, um, knew enough to understand that most people can't appreciate that and can't understand it. But I wanna ask a, a different question entirely. And the question that sort of, that, that I really, really wanted to talk about is we spend our lives for the most part, let, let's leave out halacha lamaseh aside for a second. Let's, you know what I'm saying? If you, want to, if you don't want to learn Yoridea or you don't want to learn Nidah or whatever, you want to learn the Gemara, that's fine. But we spend our, our lives, we, spend, we train our, our youngest, our best and our brightest, training in esoteric uh, rule tort law or laws of, of Nashim in areas of law that are completely irrelevant and abstract, not only to the lives of the people who are studying them, very often the halacha themselves are not relevant. Meaning it, it's completely on the theoretical plane. It has nothing to do, it is taught, it's, it's abstract law taught in an abstract manner. So you can have people writing chidushe Torah, great chidushe Torah on, you know, on Kachim or whatever, and it might be wonderful and, and great, but it really, it, what it does is, in my mind, it removes the study of Torah from the idea of trying to live an exalted life. It removes the study of Torah and, and from trying to, to create a, a more, I would say, holy existence, a holy community. And what I'm wondering is, and I'm wondering what I feel especially as I get older, and I'm not even going to get into academic study, which I'll get to, like maybe we'll get to it later, is why is it now that we're afraid to learn Torah in such a way that challenges the way that we are? Not just ethics, but of how does Torah apply to our lives? How is it supposed to build our society? How are, you know, how are we supposed to create from it? What are we supposed to derive from it? in order to build communities, in order to tackle COVID. All these, this, this method of learning doesn't exist. We're stuck in this mode where there's only one way of learning. And I think that that's part of the reason, I'm not a Haredim, but part of the reason why people don't see it as relevant in their lives and people are not interested in learning it. Molly's got her hand raised and then yes. Johnny. Okay, I have so much to say. Now you know um, where I wanted to go. That This is where I wanted to okay, go. And so I think I, this okay. Yeah, no, okay, that, that's really important. I have, I have so much to say. So first of all, I, I just <laughs> want to point out, can you hear me, by the way? Because I heard you fine. You're great. Okay, great. Okay, so classically, right, th th there always was this break between the Rosh Hashiva and the uh, the Posek, right? As Johnny also had mentioned in our previous conversation, and the, and that that distinction is made very clearly in Russian Reconstruction by Rav Chaim Soloveitchik, Doctor Doctor Chaim Soloveitchik, right, where he talks about the Rosh Hashiva who would learn in this kind of uh, ivory tower of of psak of sorry of of eon and the and the Rosh and the the posek who would paskin and wait, that wait 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 a second classically define the term you're okay. talking classically from Rav Chaim of Alajan on okay exactly exactly so so the truth is, correct um meaning Rav Chaim of Alajan created a mapecha correct he built correct. a world 
correct. Let's say let's call it the luzhin and brisk, right? Let's 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 use that as the. My, wait, but my point is that world was built to address a specific reality. A seder, but let me just let me just for, fill out what I was going to say. By the way, you had this issue also, like um, the whole idea of chasidut and pilpul versus. It's a lot very complicated in terms of the historicity of it. But let's just take this right now, right? Let's let's follow this track, right? So you had the rish Shiva and you had the posek, right? The whole halachic man is about this, right? If you read halachic man, this is what the Rav talks about. The Rav talks about the world of halachic man, who was the Talmudist, as opposed to the to the world of the posek. Um, and by the way, I, I think that people are always aware of this tension and aware of the dangers of this tension, right? Like like the article that you had given us by Rav Lichtenstein, where again he I I, I don't have it at the tips of my fingers, but he puts out like four reasons why the, what's valuable about the swimming in the Yamashal Torah, as I described it before. And then he also says, but I'm aware of the dangers, right? And when I was speaking to my son, who's now in yeshiva, he said, oh, yes, um, Rav Meir, Rav Meir Luchtenstein, right, um, said, oh, he, he also talked to us about this issue. And he also talked to us about, um, you know, the idea of getting so engrossed in the tilei tilim shel halacha, and he talked about the Haredi world, that you you start to lose the forest for the trees because because this this there is a danger of becoming so engrossed in the details that you lose the big picture. But I do want to just say, um, in defense of the of the position put forth by you know Rav and Achik Man or Lichtenstein in this article, uh, and and it's actually the opposite of what you just said, Ruby. Right? If I'm going to use Rav Lichtenstein, no, sorry, Rav Soloveitchik's explanation in Halachic Man, the reason that the the Talmudist, right? The, the, the Rosh Yeshiva, what he's free to do, right? He's free to explore all the details. He doesn't have to be limited by having to come down to the nuts and bolts of reality. And in that way, he's actually free if he's doing it right, right? The problem is that people don't do it right. Well, but if he's doing wait, let me, let me just finish. If he's doing it right, what he's doing is that he's exploring ekrone, um, philosophical, moral, moral, and ethical ideas. Ideals. That's exactly what he's trying to do. He's trying to figure out, right, what, what is the pure philosophy and ideology that the Torah is trying to give us, right? And, and again, the rough again, I'll use the same word, explicates this when he talks about what does it mean? That maybe in an ideal world, one second, maybe in an ideal world, uh, and, and are two halachon of 613. One second. But, what about but, the rest of them? But what I'm saying is, if you can even say this about Erenidachat, you can say it about all the halacha, right? If, if there's value to learning Erenidachat, even though it's so removed from life, because dafka, because it's so removed from life, I can I can ascertain an ideal pr principle. I then when I learn the halacha second, of, wait, of, of, of how wait, I should make a motzi, I don't wait, want to learn how to make the motzi, God forbid. I want second. to learn about the, the theoretical. Wait, wait, that's why you have, you need place for both, right? You need to understand that, that and again, in the world of the Rosh Yeshiva, right, the Torah is the way God wants the world to be ideally, right? That's that's exactly how, how, how the Rev describes it. This is the ideal world. Now, sometimes, and, and, and we'd like to get ideal to reach reality, but sometimes we can't, right? Ideally, we should kill people for being Machal Shabbos in reality or for killing other people. In reality, we can't ever get there, but we should know that if you take someone else's life, the only thing you can actually give back in return would be your own life. That's a really important principle. But the fact that there's a gap between ideal and reality, that also tells you something really valuable about the nature of reality and humanity. And so again, the Rosh Yeshiva is swimming in this world of ideals. He's By the way, that swimming. example you just gave of we should take your life is, an, is another excellent example 
all of Masechet Sanhedrin has no bearing whatsoever. But the point is that it does. But no, it doesn't. Point is it does. It has. It's so all one big weight. philosophy. It's all big one question of philosophy. Yes. That's okay, it. That's Ruby, all you got. This comes back to the same conversation we had about Machshavat Yisrael. You're like, who cares about philosophy? And I'm like, I care so no, much. No, I don't philosophy. mind the philosophy, but that's all you got. That's really no, that's what you're telling no. Me. That's all I got. One second. That you can't. But what I'm you can learn is, that once. Great. Wait, one halacha. This is you know. One second. There's tremendous value in that learning. Right. That learning is is again, it's like if the Balatanya calls that like hugging the Melech, right? You're hugging a Baruch Hu when you're learning his Torah because you're getting you're getting close to Hakadosh Baruch Hu's ideal roadmap for the world. Now, the question is, how do you bridge the gap between that and reality? Right. And I think wait, wait, that, that's what, why I have to learn not just skila, but nechnakim. And you know, and Chenek and Neheragim. I have to learn the nuances of all the different kind of sins that a person can do that never, ever, ever happen. I would argue that there is probably a deep philosophical, spiritual, religious idea and ideal in each one of those things. And that you should, one second, one second. And that I you learned, should I learned to, those Masechta and Yeshiva and right. we never got there. That, and that's a, maybe that's a problem. So what I'm saying is, um, there are reasons why you never got there, right? It could be that, as you said, not most people can't grasp that level of, of, you know, deep philosophical insight. Maybe the teachers are failing because they're not bringing it down to the level of students who want to understand it. That's all legitimate. But what my point that I want to make is there have always been these two tracks, right? One track is the is the eon, and one track is the is always the, since eighteen fifty. Always since eighteen fifty. Beseder. Oh, fine. Beseder. However you however you want to say that. That's a long time. Like, that's 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 missing. Uh, a, that's seven hundred uh, years of Gemara learning. Okay, Beseder. I'm just saying, in our world, this is what we're left with, right? And, and what I'm saying is that I agree that in today's world, that's creating problems, right? And again, Rav Lichtenstein says this in his article. He says, if you're too heavy on one side or the other, that's going to cause problems. And I think that, it, again, you, you don't want to bring this to the modern day Haredi world, but, but I think we can talk, let's say, in great generalities about societies or cultures that, again, become so engrossed in the, in the trees that they lose the forest. And Riff Cook talks about this also. You're talking about, about that, about that, uh, that Facebook post today. You're so engrossed. No, I don't know what you're talking about. The Chachman Nashim Facebook post today. No, I wasn't talking about that. That's another good example. But I'm just saying, Rav Kook talks about- To our listeners, we're talking in code. You can send us a message if you want to- We can explain what it is. Right. So Rav Kook, Rav Kook talks about like the Torah, Olam Hadatit, that, that was created in Galut, right? That was completely minutak from reality. And they lived in this kind of idealized world. But then when like the reality of Eretz Yisrael came up, they, they couldn't see- the actual real dangers and opportunities that were in front of them and Yudafka needed Chilonim to bring it up. And okay, fine. My my question, and I'm leaving this as a question mark because I think it's fascinating. But that is, doesn't that does okay. shouldn't that shouldn't scream out and say something is broken. Something is terribly broken. Well, okay, so one second. So what I'm saying was I what I think is fascinating is what's the answer, right? Is the answer to keep doing this two parallel track thing and to try to teach people to balance both tracks, right? And to kind of um, do the Ian thing then do the like real life thing, understand both, realize both are valuable. As Johnny said, maybe another solution is like t- have classes and shoot him, which, which educate people about how to bridge those two gaps, right? Is, is that the way to do it? Is to like have two tracks and try to show the value of both? Or maybe Johnny saying shoot him is the, is the you know, or, mm-hmm. and this is something again, I hadn't thought about before, but as we're having this conversation, I'm thinking about my son's yeshiva, which is uh, Orok Shaul, where they are claiming that they're trying to do this uh, in a much more real way. And I think this can only happen in Eretz Yisrael, where they're trying to teach in a deep Eon way 
but to also bring the the world it, it, to, it, to, to, to be to be very clear about the messages that you're saying you're missing. And I remember I sat and I'll end with this. Um, it was in one of those open, open nights to parents. Uh, it was my son's, I think it was Sheer Aleph. And um, one of my sons, Rosh Yeshiva, was, was Rev Tamir Granot, who I just, you know, sent around the interwebs recently, also his sicha about Haredim. So he was giving a shir on tshuva. And I was so impressed by it because the first half was like the classic, you know, the Rambam and the Gemara, and I forgot even what it was, but it was very like lumdusy kind of thing. And then the second half was so tremendously nogea lemaase. It was such a deep and beautiful and real musr shfuz for it was Elo about tshuva. And I said, wow, you know, like I've heard a lot of one of those and there are a lot of places doing the other of those. There are not a lot of places that are able to do both in the same share. Wait, is wait, wait, possible? wait, I have a real question. This is, were they connected to each other? Was yes. one, the second it, one connected to the and, first? Yes, and to me that blew me away. That's like impressive. He, yes. He when looked, I grew, when I grew up, it's interesting. When I grew up, Rabbi Einemer, Zecher Tzadik Livracha, used to give a classic Shabbat Shuvah drasha. And the first half was Kopel and Lumdus and nobody understood what he's talking about. And the second one was this amazing Musser Shmuz. And right. he was like, it was a classic European, you know, model, but they were not connected to one another. Right. So okay. that's what blew me away. I was like, nobody does that. And if they can do that, then that would be amazing. Can that develop? I don't know. The jury's out. Let's see. Is it possible? I heard a different Rosh Hashiva who said, I don't think it's actually really possible. Rosh Hashiva from a more, I'll even tell you what Yeshiva he's from. It wasn't Rosh Hashiva, it was a Magachir from Shivat Haritzion. Mm-hmm. He was like, Beinenu, I don't think it's actually possible. I don't think people can hold both of those things. I think you have to choose a, choose a path. Um, well, time will tell. We'll see what happens. But I do see, think if anybody can do that, Shiluv, it's only going to be in Eretz Yisrael. It's I, one of the things about Torah Eretz Yisrael. And I'll, I agree. I'll leave it jo- at that. Johnny, I want to I turn back to you. You've been patient. Before I do, we'll stop here for a message from our sponsors. Jewish studies teachers in schools around the world often struggle with the challenge of teaching students text skills. Decoding text, identifying shirashim, understanding word meaning, it's hard enough in English, but in Hebrew or Aramaic, it's a daunting task. But what if a Torah teacher had a learning tool that helped her engage her students with the Chumash material before they even walked into class? What if there was a learning tool that allowed a Rebbe to know which of his students had prepared the Mishnah and what specific parts of the material they found challenging? And what if that tool was digital, online, and totally customizable, allowing a Murat to have complete control over what and how her students were learning? Now, Judaic teachers can stop asking what if, because we built that tool. It's called Kita. To learn more and get a head start on planning for the coming school year, visit kita.org today. That's kita.org. K-I-T-A-H dot O-R-G. And we're back. Johnny, I want to turn it back to you. My son also, by the way, studies, studied, he's now in the army, but he studied in Rod Shaul. It's a very unique place. And one of the things that I'm always struck by uh, one of the other Rosh Hashiva there is Rabbi Yuval Sherlo, who always, who's very much rooted in sources, but very much also tries to, like, he, he has a whole center of ethics. Ethics is, is part of his whole worldview and mahut, meaning he's trying to communicate this idea that the Torah that we study has to have ramifications and has to have a message for the world at large. But I have to be honest and say that I, I think that Orocha struggles to attract students. Truth be told, 
because it's not in the classic mold. It's not going to give you the, the classic lambdas. And therefore, one, I think teachers are not necessarily sending there because they don't really know what to do with it. And the best students want to go, you know, learn in hard own. truth be told. So, uh-huh. so to make is it, it possible? So, do you agree right. with this my, model? Is this my model or this ideal even possible? And if it is, well, I don't know. Or not. What do you think, Johnny? So, so I, I want to say three quick things. I mentioned I was in Kambiavna and then... I came back to university and then uh, was in Kollel and it, during that period had a wonderful role. But I didn't mention what I studied in, in university, which was maths. Uh, I'm not the greatest mathematician, but I studied for maths degree. For all Americans, um, that's math, math. Yeah, math. I'm sorry, mathematics for, for people who are, yeah, from, from the British Isles. Now, because of mathematics or maths or math for whomever uh, wishes that preference, has lots of fascinating parallels uh, with this conversation. In fact, Arav Jakobovitz has an essay where he draws these parallels between basically uh, theoretical halacha and practical halacha, pure mathematics and applied mathematics. Mm-hmm. Now, when you do a math degree, um, you study pure, pure mathematics at the beginning, uh, and then you generally have a choice. Do I continue to be a pure mathematician or do I venture into applied mathematics? Now, what's interesting is there is always this kind of... Um, competitiveness between the two worlds. If you've read G.H. Hardy's A Mathematician's Apology, which I've read many times, I have it here, it's wonderful. Here's, it's one of my favorite books. It's <laughs> genuinely, it really is poetry. I'm really kidding, yeah. I've never heard of it. Right. So, <laughs> G.H. Hardy's A Mathematician's Apology is basically the same kind of argument, but in Divrei Chol, of, of what we would call lishma, meaning non-applied halacha. He's saying- By the way, the Rav uses math as his example. In I'm well aware, plan. right, exactly. Yeah. He doesn't quote Hardy, but basically Hardy is saying this. And he's saying, I am so proud that every single thing that I've written and spoken about has no application whatsoever. Like that's, that's a definition of being a pure mathematician. Whereas applied mathematicians are so proud that it led to building bridges. Now, what the key point is, even though there's this uh, competitiveness, Within the world of academia, there is generally considered to be greater currency that you are a pure mathematician. You are the real deal, and the applied person is a little bit watered down. And already since then, when I was 19, 20 years old until now, you see very similar things in the Torah world. That we say, listen, if you're going to be a Rav in a community, okay, but to, the, the real definition is to be the Shiva and you're involved in Lambdas, and that you can be involved in that laboratory of ideas and really dwell in that great space of the, you know, the, um, the ethereal. I'm going to let you go. I have to interrupt and ask you the following. The problem is you're totally right. I agree that there has to be an elite, an elite group of people that study in the world of the ephemeral. But as you said it, I think the model is so great. You learn basic math, you learn some basic studies, you know, but most of the vast majority of people, they learn algebra, maybe, Maybe they learn pre-calculus, they do whatever it is, but the vast majority of people are not encouraged to go into theoretical math. Correct. That's a, that's a different conversation. Let's no, it's the same. Now in, in Gemara, what do we do? We say, to the vet, we, say, we say that if you're going to do it at all, we're going we're to throw you into this sea of theoretical math. Now what would right. happen if you did that to a high school kid and said, oh, by the way, you have to, you know, in, four, in Arba Yechidot, we're going to teach you the beginnings of, apply, of applied mathematical theory. I'm well aware because by third in math, I was kind of like, well, this is ridiculous. But <laughs> what, I, what I can tell you, though, is the following. Uh, the, my second point is every day, uh, you guys know that 
I write a thought on the duff and, and uh, I try and take a look at the duff the night before, but I generally spend about two hours learning and writing every morning. Now, when there's something which has seemingly a more evident application, well, that's easy because I want to give a message which is somewhat tachlitical. There are days when you open the duff and you say, I, I don't know where to start, right? And you learn the duff and you, you, you kind of like, you rub your brow again, again saying, I need to understand that, that's number one, but what can I find in here that speaks to people who don't just know the pure world? Now, what I mean by that is the following. When I'm learning, I sometimes see beautiful chidushim, which I know I can communicate, and maybe 2% of the people who read my writings will say, aha, uh -huh. and the other 98% will say, I, I have no idea what on earth you're talking about. It's like me speaking pure math to somebody who, as you say, is not trained in that area and is not attracted to that area. And what I try and do is say, okay, when I learn, my task is to make sure I don't get up until I find a way to apply it. Who says this? The Ramban. You go to Ramban, basically gives a, a Hamlatsa. We talk about Hamlatsa to his son, which is before you get up every time from your learning, make sure you find a way to put into practice what you've learned. And there's a great story told by Aaron Hirsch Fried in his essay, Our, Our Children Too Worldly, where he says there was a story of a kid who smashes uh, his friend's tape recorder, which you guys know what it is, and most of our listeners may not. And, um, and what was really annoying is they'd just been learning... I think most of our listeners probably do know what a tape okay, recorder fair is. Enough. <laughs> uh, they'd just been learning the sugyas about damages. And Ravruven Feinstein, uh, who was a Rebbe there, said, I, I don't understand why the student refused to pay for the damages he caused, having just learned the sugya. And he spoke to his father, Rav Maisha. And Rav Maisha said, it's probably because his first experience of learning Gemara was brachis. And when we learn Gemara brachis, we don't see an evident relationship between the zmanim there and what we do in shul. And so he gained to think that Gemara is a theoretical topic. And that's why there are many people who say you should start with Adam at Sia, something much, much more practical to demonstrate the relevance of what we're learning to real life. That's really and interesting. So, I, te I, I teach Gemara Bracha, and it's so relevant. It's Amidah. No, no, different ways. It depends on which parak. Fundamentally, yeah. the, what does Aaron Hirschfried say? He says, it, what the Rebbe should have done is, after learning the Gemara say, so kids, what this means is, if you take somebody's tape recorder and you smash it, you have to pay. And really, that's kind of what I do every day on Daf Yomi. I learn a thing, I try and explain the idea, and I say, to my mind, this is what we can learn from this. And if you don't do that, the text, the ideas remain in the air. They remain basically, they remain kind of these ephemeral ideas, but what we need to do is bring them back down. I'll just quickly mention a third thing, very small. Where are we in terms of the Kriya Torah journey? We're between Yitro Mishpatim. We're between up on Har Sinai and those very, very tangible questions that are discussed by the Gemara. And our job really in terms of teaching Torah is to combine the experience of Matan Torah, that sense of the presence of God, with Shoshanagach. With Actually, when you're dealing with Shoshanagach, you should recognize that this is where you find God. This is where you experience the Dvar Hashem, no less than when talking about heavenly angels and great revelations. Here too, when you're dealing with damages, when you deal with harm, and it's in the Ben Adam Nachavera where you also need to acknowledge that's what is the Ratan Hashem. Okay, this conversation has frustrated me. Only because, like, like we've outlined challenges, but nobody does anything we said. No. Well, but again, like, let's, let's okay, we be optimistic. 
I think things are changing. First of all, I think that there's definitely a qu- people are starting to question um, how boys should learn Gemara when we when we create women's programs. We think new, a new Mechinot exists now as opposed to Yeshivot Hesder, and they have a new, you know, like a whole different worldview. But what you're they- describing is less and less people are learning Gemara, and then they're wondering how come nobody wants to learn Gemara. Correct, correct. You're right. And what I would love is you're right is to figure out a way. Can you can we teach Gemara in the most intensive way, and then also figure out a way to bring those messages down to earth, as Johnny just said. I just want to... Okay, uh, it's a uh, challenge. Mari, sorry, Mari yeah. mentioned Rav Cook, and Rav Cook it, it created an institution called Halacha Bro Bir Halacha, which continues to publish Gemaras, which is really expressive in print of this bridge between Lomdas and Halacha Lamasa. And there was an article, I think it was Makar Shan a few weeks back, about how they've continued to print things. I mean, I, they're still not finished. But nevertheless, <laughs> um, yeah, it's one of those projects which seems to take years and years. But nevertheless, um, it is possible. I'm saying it, and, and I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut in with money. It's possible if there's a Rotson. That Rebbe could have said just simple sentence. It would have made a difference. Every day I try and do it my Dafyomi. I hope it makes a difference. There are many Svarim who say so, and it makes a difference. It's a tr- question of, do you believe, like the Ramban says, that halacha is so great that it can also reach earth and the lives of those who learn it, and not just in terms of the experience of the material, but in the day-to-day actions that they have both with people and with God, if you believe that, then it's shaveh, then it's worth it. And if you don't believe it, then you continue to learn the pure mathematics, right? The, the lishma, and the Torah, which is so sweet, so gorgeous, right? And for, for each of us in certain parts of our life, that's been, you know, what's, what's fed us and it's what's enriched us. But nevertheless, that is ultimately the, the Torah of Yitzchak, Torah of Ram, or certainly Torah of Yitzchak, but there are times, I'd say, uh, as the generations ebb by, that we need Shemba Aviv. We need not just uh, Shulchanach, but Shalos Tshuvas, not just Trumas Hadeshin, but Ikus Moshe. Right? We need things which express the nitty gritty of real life and demonstrate that Hakadosh Baruch Hu is there, present there in the lab, there in the hospital, there in the school, and not just in the base medrash. Yeah, and I want to so just add, I, I I add one thing. Yeah, no, I want to be clear. I, I learn Gemara B'Iyun. I teach Hashir and Gemara B'Iyun as much as I can, to whatever degree I can. A, I pick Mesechtot that are limited, that I can handle. And I, I love the discussion of the ideas, but there are very few people who are interested in it. And, and I think that we're, we're not doing ourselves a favor by training our children in such a way that very few of them actually want to learn, find it exciting to learn, find it interesting to learn, if they can even overcome the barriers. And so I think these trends that we're seeing in education about less and less people learning are a direct result of, uh, of this, uh, this esoteric, this, 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 um, this abstractness. And as opposed to seeing it as part of the problem, I think, like you said, Mali, Yeshiva double down. Instead of saying, not let's get rid of Gemara, but what can we do to bring the student into the Gemara and introduce it and make it more relevant? The other point I want to say is that we're lacking a language just that speaks, that translates a religious experience to, to modern day. You know, to take uh, like what Medan did with uh, Medan Gabazin Amana, but to say, where do we learn this from? What are the sources? You know, to say that the Torah that we learned isn't this abstract thing that's irrelevant or not connected to only the Beit Midrash, but it has real things to say about COVID, about building a country, about, about you know, Misrata Tachbura, but whatever, all of the issues that come up today, that, you know, I, there's no Mesechet Tachbura. There's no Mesechet, you know, digital communication. So we pull here and there, we're pulling, but it, there's no 
there's no goof, there's no body that's trying to bring it together to bridge that gap. And it's a huge challenge, but it's something that I believe we're going to have to overcome. Molly, I'm sorry, I'll give you the last word. I just want to say that, first of all, you know, I I think you both kind of clarified it, but Johnny was kind of using language of sock, right? And I was using language of ideals, but I think you you use the language of relevance, which encompasses both, right? It's not only just about sock, halacha, what do I do? And it's not only about like, what's the message here that's relevant for me, but it's all one thing. And I just, I'll just end by saying that I think I was just rereading Rav Solveitchik's Chamesh Dreshot, and he said something really interesting about the Datilumi world. And he said, we all think that like the Haredim are the ones, and again, I know you don't want to talk about Haredim, but we'll talk, we are, we are RZ Weekly, so I'll talk about the religious Zionist world, that they're the ones who are keeping the Torah alive. I've been very good about that, I must say. Yeah. Um, and he he says he believes it's Dafka in his language, it's the Mizrahi world, right? Because he, these were dressed out to the Mizrahi. It's Dafka, the Mizrahi world, that's going to keep real Torah alive. And he talks about, I, I won't go into the whole thing, but Yosef and his brothers and Yosef saw that the future is going to be in a, in a place where, where you can no longer have Torah in this very um, kind of pristine place, but it's going to have to be Mechubar to a world, a secular world, a world of science, of technology. And he says it's Dafka, the, 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 Mizrah, the Mizrachnikim, right? The religious Zionists who are going to take the Torah out of a very, very narrow, small space and open it up and connect it to this much larger life. And that's the continuity of Torah. That's, and he believes that we should be proud of that and we should, we should recognize the greatness of what we're doing that, and, and, and not always hide behind, you know, oh, apologize for the fact that we're doing it. What we're doing is actually the work that needs to be done and, and, and we've been carrying that flag. I, would say, I just want to add one further thing. Um, I think that may be true, but we're also o- uh, overlooking, I think, an important community, which is the Sephardic community. And I know the Sephardic community has developed, but one of the Sephardim that I've learned many times over is a sefer called Iger Leben Torah. Uh, it's written by our current Sephardic chief rabbi, with whom I don't always see eye to eye, Kuvav Yitzhak Yosef, but summarizing the Derech Limud of his father of Avad Yosef. And it's such a wonderful sefer because it talks about how to learn Torah with a focus on, you know, halacha, uh, halacha la'maseh, without losing sight, of course, of all these things that we've discussed. It really is a very compelling sefer written in the yeshiva of, uh, so in the language of yeshiva student learning, but with an emphasis not just on lomda, but also on halacha la'maseh. And though true, some Sephardic communities have now shall we say, you know, become a little bit more distant from that realm of halakha a lot still very much are. Uh, there's now a pushback to come back to it. They, they lost their true identity of Sephardic learning and there's a pushback right. to return to uh, it. And this Sefer genuinely is a, a really, really lovely Sefer with some beautiful, beautiful ideas with a strong focus on a lot of the messages we've said. So yes, Datilomi, but I would say yes also, uh, the, the, there's no such thing, by the way, that the Sephardic Derek Limud, there are many different approaches within the Sephardic world, but this is an interesting sefer which uh, gives good coherence to at least one of those pathways. Okay, we're almost out of time. We're pretty much out of time. We'll do a lightning round of Hamlatzot. Molly, what do you got? Okay, I have a very nice poem that I want to read. Okay, that's my Hamlatzah. It's sure. called Allah. Ready? It's called Allow by somebody named Dana Falls. There is no controlling life. Try corralling a lightning bolt containing a tornado. Dam a stream and it will create a new channel. Resist and the tide will allow you, will sweep you off your feet. Allow and grace will carry you to higher ground. The only safety lies in lending it all in. The wild and the weak, fear, fantasies, failures, and success. When loss rips off the doors of the heart or sadness veils your vision with despair, practice, become, practice becomes simply bearing the truth. 
in the choice to let go of your known way of being, the whole world is revealed to your new eyes. So obviously there's a lot to sink in there and I won't go into, you know, explaining it's very, it's, it's really basically just mindfulness, but my, I love the sentence allow and grace will carry you to a higher ground because I love that idea of like, just try to be gracious when, when you're struggling, when you're, when you're, when, when, when you're dealt with a challenge, when you're dealt with a difficult person, when you're dealt with a difficult situation, don't fight if, you know, just let go kind of go with the flow and maintain your grace and take the high ground. I just thought that was beautiful. Thank you. Johnny. Uh, okay, there have been a number of volumes published in the last year relating to coronavirus. Uh, just yesterday purchased uh, the latest one, but one I'm really excited to read. It's called The Coronavirus Pandemic, Historical, Medical and Halachic Perspectives by Rabbi Professor Abram Steinberg and Ari Simant, uh, published by Mosaica Press, who I'm also an editor for. So uh, I'm no Gabadavar, but um, I I'm very much looking forward to reading this book. And this really is a great expression of tying thoughtful, nuanced halachic reasoning with halacha lamas and pikuach nefesh. It's in Hebrew and in English, and uh, it it's already been uh, uh, welcomed with open arms by many, many people around the world. My brother, who's a uh, consultant, is already looking forward to getting a copy himself. Uh, he's already he's been working with uh, corona patients for for much of the last year and many other people around the world. So the coronavirus pandemic by Mosaic Press. Thank you. Are they going to be a sponsor or can you get them to? Uh... <laughs> OK, my my Hamlatsa is a letter that was that was published by Rabbi Devore Evron today. Today is February 9th uh, about her new uh, tafkid in university Barilan University. Okay, and uh, Tafkid, they, 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 they write, okay, that she will be, they appointed her, to give a feminine answer or response or to the need, to the great need of many in the, the Barilan community, who desire a feminine voice in their spiritual world. And so there's a lot to talk about there, but just to be aware that Bar-Ilan hired a Rabbanit uh, everyone, because uh, otherwise uh, we're going to get into a whole issue about it. I don't want to give my opinion. Everyone has opinions, but to wish our mazal tov. All right, we're going to wrap it up here. Um, if you guys want to talk about that next week, you let me know. Molly, probably not. My uh, name is Uwe Spalter. I want to thank <laughs> Rabbi Johnny Solomon and Rabbanit Molly Bravsky. Thank my son Pataches Spalter for our music. If you are uh, listening to us in the Apple iTunes, iTunes, what is it? the Apple podcast, whatever it is, please leave us a review uh, and uh, share the love of RZ Weekly with your friends, families, neighbors, and everyone else you have a WhatsApp group with that helps us grow. Thanks, everybody, and have a good week. Bye.